Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Okay, I wasn't sure exactly when to start, but as I look around, I see a lot of missing people. So apparently a lot of people heard that I was going to be teaching the class today and left town. Some kind of special vacation plan in the mountains or something like that. I, uh, but, you know, we really should be grateful for programs like PTP. They... Uh, They're a great blessing to the church because they provide an opportunity to gain in knowledge, to gain spiritually, to have a fellowship with a different group of people. And I've never been there, but I understand the singing just kind of blows the top of the building off. So uh, it's, it's great to think about that. As the slide suggests on the screen, uh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, that even our teacher left town as well. Ben as well went up there. But hadn't he been doing a great job with this uh, class on David? So I'm uh, a little bit uh, flummoxed as to how well I might be able to fill in for him today. But we're going to talk about David the servant. And notice I've labeled this David a model servant. David is not the model servant. As we know, Jesus Christ is the model uh, he is the ultimate model for us. And he said in uh, Mark chapter 10, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Then he went on to say, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So this concept of servanthood is something that's fundamental to us as Christians. It uh, stands as a cornerstone uh, or an important stone in the building that makes up the church. David, of course, as we all know and have been studying, is, is a notable character in the Bible. He's, he's even notable in the New Testament. Uh, if you look up David's name, you'll find that it's mentioned some 56 times in the New Testament. But overall in the Bible, his name occurs over a thousand times more than any other man except Jesus, of course. And of course, God's name occurs thousands of times in the Bible. But David's name is prominent uh, and it's used uh, frequently. I want to begin with a scripture in 1 Samuel. Chapter 17 is one I think that Ben has looked at with us before, but uh, want to uh, look at it uh, in in terms of this idea of David as a model servant. Uh, David is often referred to uh, in Scripture uh, as as the son of man or the son of David. And uh, what we find when we look at David's 
characteristics or his character and, and his life, we find that first of all, he began his servanthood at an early age. Uh, he was a servant to his family. He was a servant to his nation. He was a servant to uh, his brothers when they went off to war. He brought food to them when they were serving in Saul's army, uh, getting ready to fight against the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we uh, read this uh, these familiar verses, beginning at verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, and he's he's laid down a challenge, so to speak, I'm willing to go fight that big guy, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then Saul, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. So David was willing to serve his king. And then David, or Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, uh, for you are youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. He was concerned about God, and he was willing to serve him and place his life on the line in order to serve God. Verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, or from the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So David was concerned about God's reputation, about God's name being defiled by this uh, heathen Philistine. But he showed great courage and he had confidence that uh, based upon his faith in God uh, that he could prevail. He did not seem to, in any ways, we read the story, to doubt not so much his own ability, but the ability of God to deliver him. Notice he said there, and God will deliver me. So, as a servant, David started young. And I think that serves as a model for our families today, does it not? Uh, parents, grandparents, we should think in terms of teaching our children early on about service in the kingdom, about service to God. Then younger folks, I hope, will, if you haven't already begun, begin now, begin a life of service. Experience the joys that uh, service uh, in the kingdom can provide for us. I'm going to try, yes, I got it to work accidentally almost. The next thing, aspect about David's life that I'd like to look at uh, is a servant is always interested in knowing the will of his Lord. Uh, and what I have listed here are nine occasions 
when it is said that David inquired of the Lord. He went to him directly seeking guidance in difficult situations that he faced. And uh, he was willing to inquire of God before going forward with some of these challenges. And this is kind of a unique uh, situation. We find other kings from time to time are said to inquire of God, but none of them so many times as David did, and uh, none of them with the fervor and the faith that David seemed to have uh, and demonstrated in uh, demonstrated his faith in God. So I want to begin with uh, several of these, uh, beginning in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23, if you will turn with me there. Uh, there are four of these inquiries that David made of the Lord right here in this, uh, in this one chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 23, and beginning at the very beginning of the chapter. Uh, notice, first of all, then, then they took David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. The situation here is that the town of Keilah was a walled town or city, but it was located very near the Philistine territory. And it was also in the middle of a very agriculturally rich area. So it was a great target for the Philistines to go after. David learned about it even though he was in hiding from Saul. This is a time when he's hiding in a cave with his men uh, seeking uh, to stay out of the line of sight, so to speak, of Saul who was seeking to kill him. And yet even though he's his own life is threatened. He's willing to, in effect, consider, should I put my life on the line again and go and try and save the city? And he uh, goes, the, goes on, uh, and his men, in verse 3, said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then? if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines. Look, we're already threatened by Saul. He's he's trying to pursue us to kill us. And now you want us to go up and place ourselves at further risk. Uh, so they didn't seem too willing to go. So David, again in verse 4, inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. First time God just says, oh yeah, go. And his men were not willing to take the risk based upon that simple statement. But this time God very specifically says, not only go, but you're going to win. I'm going to deliver them uh, into your hands, you will have a victory. And then the story goes on. Uh, he goes up 
to the city of Keala with his 600 uh, merry men to uh, pick up on the theme of Robin Hood, uh, hiding away, very much like Robin Hood was hiding away in the wilderness. But David, in verse 10, has defeated the Philistines. God gave him the victory. Uh, but now he's faced with another problem. He's concerned. He's, he's placed himself inside this walled city. He's very much at Saul's mercy now. Saul can hunt him down, perhaps, uh, because he's trapped inside this city. So he wants to know in verse 10. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your serpent has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. So he'd heard rumors that Saul was going to bring his army uh, and cause problems for David. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So God gives him a partial answer. He says, Saul will come down. Uh, God confirms the rumors. But uh, that uh, is not all that David is interested in knowing about. He wants to know, uh, he's thinking ahead a bit and wondering, will these people that I've saved, will they turn on me when Saul shows up and deliver me and my men over to them so that we'll be killed. He asked that question first, but then in verse 12, he asked again. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. Now you know that must have hurt David. He had expended all this effort and what kind of gratitude does he get? These people, are, of course, are under threat. and They're concerned about their own safety, but they're going to turn David over uh, if Saul does indeed show up. They will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Uh, I I listed nine of these inquiries, but I'm not going to go through uh, all of those, but I I do want to call your attention to one other, and uh, that is in 2 Samuel chapter 2. This is after Saul and his son Jonathan had been uh, defeated and actually killed in a battle with the Philistines. And uh, so now uh, Saul is dead, the king is dead, and David, remember, had secretly been anointed by Samuel as the next king. But he's, he's uncertain as to what he should do. So in 2 Samuel... Chapter 2, again, he inquires as to what his Lord would have him do. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? 
That is, shall I go up and say, hey, here I am, I'm the king now. And the Lord said, go up, David. David said, where shall I go? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Hinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. David does not want to presumptively declare himself to be king. He's, yes, he's been anointed, but uh, will the people accept him? Uh, that's the question he's asking of God. Should I go up? Will it be okay? Will I be declared the king? And of course, God told him to go and even told him which specifically, specifically which city to go to uh, in order to be anointed or inaugurated as the king. This is, Hebron is in the territory of the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. So initially he's anointed or selected, appointed as declared the king by the tribe of Judah. But over time, all of the 12 tribes accepted him uh, as their king. Well, what is the... uh, what is an application of, of this for us? Well, I think, I think one application, at least, is obvious. These nine times David inquired of the Lord, does God ever tire out of hearing from us? I don't think he does. And if David, if we look at David as our example, within the space of a very short time there when he's facing the Philistines, he inquired four different times to know what the Lord's will was for him. So uh, I don't think God gets tired of, he didn't get tired of David. I don't think he will get tired of hearing from us as well. Uh, The uh, sequel to this final inquiry that we'll look at is, uh, is reported later on uh, and David uh, was indeed uh, accepted as king, uh, and uh, all of the uh, all of the people of Judah publicly declared. He'd previously been privately appointed. Now he's very publicly announced uh, as the king. The next characteristic of David that I'd like us to look at is a servant is faithful. To his Lord. In Luke chapter 16, uh, it tells us that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. The NIV uses a word which I kind of like in place of the word faithful. It uses the word trusted. Uh, so a servant can be trusted by his Lord. He will be trustworthy. He will be faithful. Uh, and of course, that goes the other way around. David trust God as he showed by the many times that he inquired uh, as his will. Uh, but I want to look at one specific example uh, that I think demonstrates uh, David's 
uh, trustworthiness and his trust in God. And that's found in First uh, Samuel chapter 26. First Samuel chapter 26. You'll turn with me there. Uh, beginning at verse 5 in First Samuel chapter 26. So David arose and went to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And after Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay down within the camp while the people were encamped all around. We've gone backward a little bit in history. This is now that time again when David is on the run from Saul and Saul is seeking to kill him. But now... David has the opportunity essentially to sneak up on Saul and put him to death. Verse 6, Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite and Abishai, the son of Zeruah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Abishai said, I will go down with you. David. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to God, to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him once with the spear, right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, or who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? God could trust David to follow his will. It was. It would have been wrong for him to kill God's anointed king, or the king that God had anointed. Uh, and David respected that and refused to allow his fellow soldier to put Saul to death. In verse 10, David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head. And he used that later, of course, to... Uh, call Saul's attention to the fact that he had the opportunity to kill him but did not uh, take advantage of it. But David was on the run. He had been appointed as the next king, and here he has the opportunity to put the current king to death, and obviously he would have been king. But he trusted God as faithful to deliver him to be king whenever the time was right. And so he would not. And there were other occasions that we know where David had opportunity to put Saul to death uh, and did not do so. So David was a trustworthy. He was a faithful servant of the Lord. Model servant also lifts up his Lord. I want to call your attention to a couple of passages that I think illustrate uh, these in terms of being really good examples 
of uh, David lifting up his Lord. We know that one of the things that uh, God did for David was to make a covenant with him to promise him a number of things for the future. And we're going to talk about that next week in uh, considerable detail, the so-called Davidic covenant. But uh, here, this is after uh, the God has announced to David uh, in, in uh, 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, this is David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house. Notice how often he uses this term, your servant. For a great while to come, is this the manner of men, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant, for your word's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all of these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds. Lost my place. For your land before. Awesome deeds for your land before. Your people, when you redeem for yourself from Israel, from Egypt rather, the nations and their gods, for you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever Do as you have said, so your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established forever. I don't know whether anybody was noticing as we read, but did you count the number of times that David used the term your servant? I'm I'm going to have to take this coat off and unhitch myself a little bit here. Uh, I know all of you ladies are suffering from too much coolness in the auditorium, but I'm suffering from too much stress and sweating too much, so if you'll bear with me while I try to be a little better prepared. But in this short passage, ten times, David uses the expression, your servant. But that's, but that's not all. Uh, 18 times, he specifically names God. He uses different names uh, that, are, that are God's names, but 18 times he addresses God. And then to go a little bit further with my strange fixation with words, I counted the number of personal pronouns that David uses to refer to God. 
36 times he uses you or your. So over, <clears throat> over 50 times, <clears throat> over 50 times in this passage, David addresses God. Uh, <clears throat> he is lifting up. He's saying, I'm your servant. I am lowly, but you, God, are high. You are to be lifted up. And there's another example I'd like to uh, cite for you, if you will. Turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 29. There's another example there, beginning in uh, verse 10. And the occasion here is uh, we all remember, I know, that David wanted to build the temple for God. But God said, no, you're a man of war. You can't do that. But God did allow him to gather all of the materials, the gold, the cedar, the stones, and so forth. And so on that occasion, David is giving thanks to God in First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. Notice again how many times he addresses God. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Therefore, God, o God, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, and as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. So David, in his life, in his experiences, as he had opportunity, he recognized God as the giver of all of these wonderful gifts that he he and the people were able to bring. But he gives God all the glory. He said, they came from you, God. We're just giving them back to you. David and the servant will lift up God Almighty, will lift up our Lord. And the final characteristic is a model servant obeys his Lord. And we know that we can probably all think of a number of occasions in David's life when he was uh, obedient. Of course, we talked about one of those last week where he was disobedient. But uh, God said uh, of David, uh, in, on one occasion, he said when uh, he was speaking of uh, of some of the other kings of uh, Judah that would succeed David said, God keeps his covenant originally made with David 
even though kings of even Judah become evil in their ways. Now, if you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 14, and let's look at, at an example where David uh, is obedient to God. 1 Kings chapter 14, beginning at verse 7. Go tell Jeroboam. Jeroboam uh, is the rebellious uh, Israelite who uh, pulled away the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, away from uh, the rightful heir of David, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And uh, God sends a prophet to Jeroboam and says, Tell him this, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart to do only what was right, in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam and as one takes away refuge until it is gone. And sure enough, Jeroboam's house, his dynasty stopped with Jeroboam uh, and others uh, took his place. But the thing that's notable about this, I think, is David is held up as a model of obedience for other kings that were to govern Israel. Uh, he was the kind of model in obedience that God held him up uh, before these other kings as uh, someone that uh, that they should imitate. I wasn't sure whether I would had, have time to uh, uh, finish these or not, but I have done all the talking, and uh, maybe we will discuss some of these, but I... In, uh, in fairness to those of you who've been sitting there quietly listening, I wonder if any of you have any thoughts uh, that we may have discussed so far or that have come to your minds uh, with regard to David as a servant. Anyone have a thought? And please, if you will, speak loudly. I am very poor of hearing, uh, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes. I've read these passages. And I still wonder the same things which are these. We have the word of the Lord that comes as warnings against wicked kings. David is held up as the model. Undercutting all that are two points. Israel is aware that God still governs in their affairs. Which leads me to wonder 
really the king of Israel. Uh, and he gave a number of warnings. We read one of them where he's warning Jeroboam uh, that his kingdom will fail because of his wickedness. Uh, the question is, did the people ever have advantage of hearing these warnings from God? Uh, and I guess I have to say, uh, I haven't looked at all of them. There were many, as, as you point out, to later kings as well, because the kings, as he as Fred points out, just got worse and worse and worse, particularly in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, were the people made aware of this? Did they have opportunity, so to speak, to rise up and uh, push back on their wicked leaders? Uh, all I can say, I guess, with regard to that are a couple of thoughts come to my mind. Uh, there were a lot of prophets sent to the people as a whole, over time, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, uh, later on. Uh, and uh, they were, particularly Jeremiah, of course, warning the people over and over uh, of, of the fate that was to come to them. The Babylonians would overwhelm them, would defeat them, take them away into captivity. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the scripture reveals to us how much it became common knowledge. At least I'm not aware of that. Uh, perhaps someone else may be, as I know, have a better recall of the situation than I do. But I think God is judging his people in large measure based upon their leadership. And he'll judge, he'll judge this church in part upon his leadership as well. Now, he's going to judge us all individually not going to let us blame our leaders. Uh, and I'm sure that God is not going to blame the individual Israelite because of uh, the failures of their kings. But I have, I have trust in God's justice, God's rightness. Uh, and the other point, I guess, is that uh, this was a different time than we live under now. I think we have a much greater revelation of the will of God. Uh, thank Him. Thank God for that. 
the people then did not have as much of a revelation as we do today uh, of all the aspects of the will of God. I don't know whether that does a poor job, I think, of answering the question, but I guess the bottom line is I don't know uh, with any certainty uh, how widely known uh, God's warning was to all of the people. One of the... I think I've got about three or four minutes left. One of the things that I did want to uh, uh, mention or give some emphasis to, uh, if, if time permitted, and that is David as a servant, as a model servant, had a humble and contrite heart. That's the second point uh, in the list here. And the, uh, the place to look for that uh, is in 2 Kings uh, chapter 24. And uh, the situation there is one that's always been a little bit puzzling to me because David was condemned for numbering the people. In other words, for taking a census. Uh, now, there was something wrong about that, but we're not told exactly uh, why it was wrong. But in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David has become aware uh, that this is a sin in the sight of God. In 2 Samuel 24, I'm in 1 Samuel, i got to get it in the right book. 2 Samuel 24, uh, beginning at verse 10. If you care to read along with me. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. And now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer saying, Go and tell David, thus saith the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that it may be that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or, number two, shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or number three, or shall there be three days' plague in the land? Now consider and see what answer I should take to him who sent me. And here I think David shows his trust, his faithfulness, and his humility before God. He says, says to, to Gad the prophet, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. When the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the, laying, and the angel of the Lord uh, was by the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. 
And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel of Saul was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. David was humble and contrite, and he saw the harm that his sin had done and said, Please, God, let it be against me, not against my people. Uh, David is a great, was a great servant and a model for us uh, in many ways. Next week, if you want to look ahead, we're going to talk about uh, David in the New Testament, and particularly in light of the covenant that God made with him uh, in uh, in Second Samuel chapter seven. So, if you want to look at that, you can. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate your patience. And uh, unfortunately, I guess PTP and other folks will still be gone next week, or at least Ben will. So uh, I'll see you next week also. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.